So here we are. Here we are. Part three. Part three of an epic three-part night. Yeah. But um, but now it is my turn to put you into the guest seat. It's very exciting. And uh, and start asking some hard questions. <laughs> I'm really excited for this. I'm really excited about our guest. Yeah, today. this is a, that's funny. every time that word. Um, well, it's true. It is. It Being is. Being excited by your guests. Yeah. And and every time we... we... Sexually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only in this situation. Yeah. I think we other ones, but no. totally not. Very platonic. You're listening to Can't Sell This, a podcast about creativity, creatives, and their process. With your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. is Hugh Elliott. I am a creative technologist in Toronto. I work for a company called Thinking Box and I have a 20 plus year career in advertising. And are way better at starting off podcasts than I <laughs> <laughs> You fucking launched right into it, oh man. I have a God. real appreciation for that. That oh, cold yeah. open went cold nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like sub-zero. Um, <laughs> and I'm a co-host yeah, of and a the co-host. podcast Co-Creator. Which you are co-host and co-creator yeah. of uh, Can't Sell This, yes. So, oh boy, when I think back to like the early days of when we met, because we met through a series of, of, of events and handlebar. Chiefly of which would be Create and T.O. or, yeah. or, or uh, Flash and T.O. or... Um, Flash in the can, yeah. FITC, FITC, and but what we had met on on a couple of panels. I think the wonder what you were running. I moderated a panel moderated, that I had you yeah, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I always, I was always like, this guy, this guy, yeah, I like this guy, okay. And um, I think before it was about your career and before it was about what you were doing, it was it was about your personality. Right. And about how I was like, I feel like this is a guy that I can have a fun conversation with and, sh- you know, share a couple of beers at, at, a, at, a, at a pub mm-hmm. or a bar and, and have, a, have a good conversation. And then that was just constantly uh, uh, stepped up. By like, oh, oh, cool. He he does maker does stuff. That's really cool. That's yeah. really neat. I love that stuff. That's definitely something I want to talk about because I don't know about that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's something I want to talk about because I don't know it. Oh, oh, and and he was a, a Flash animator for a long time, and right. that's something that I do know a little bit more about. Cool. So we have some. Com- oh, and an illustrator. Holy uh, crap! You know, and, he's a giant nerd who knows yeah, sci-fi. Yes, <laughs> and comic books and, and movies and between takes, we even we were joking about the uh, Three Amigos reference. And that was just another one. I'm pretty sure something like that happened right when we were, we were first hanging out. Where it's like, okay, he's getting the same references I'm, I'm putting down. So yeah. this is there's yeah. a lot of comedy. Sure. And the more I got to know about what you did, the more impressed I got. And oh. you did that. Um, that. Like we'll, I know we'll get to it at some point, but the the uh, the creantio with the uh, craft bears. Sure. And I, I remember that presentation was the one where every 30 seconds that went by, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> holy shit. Like, right. it just got better and better and better. Oh, I appreciate that. And that, that, I think to me, 
was like the last sort of like stamp of <laughs> he like, could present. Well, not just the present, but <clears throat> that 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 project itself was also it was like it's it's still in my opinion one of the most creative right. uh, projects, but also one of the most appropriate projects. Right. So like we, uh, I can see the little bit of a look. Well, of, uh, yeah, but, sorry. But yeah. what I mean by that is like. When you interviewed me, I talked a little bit about like trying to find the through line between the thing that I'm doing and and the either the message I'm trying to to convey or the the IP that I'm trying to tie into, mm-hmm. and I think that that is something that is rarer in our line of work. For sure, not every creative can do that, and and to me the the craft bears was. Bang on, like the message, the medium, uh, the technology that you use, like everything. The whole user experience was just a per- it was a perfect puzzle fit. Huh. And uh, I've uh, I've been in awe of how you do that and how you do that as a maker because again, right. that is stuff that I don't know a lot about. You know, uh, the maker thing is is interesting to me obviously because i do it but (laughs) the maker thing is is a conundrum because when you say you're a creative technologist it it actually encompasses a really wide range of skill sets and i always say i'm i'm I'm, i work with microcontrollers and lights and motors and sensors Mm -hmm. because then it really narrows down the focus i'm i'm what you would what you might call it an experiential designer so i i focus very much on someone using something to achieve something and it you know in 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 your case it's you know creating a narrative to achieve the same goal right so Mm -hmm. when we talk about users or participants or whatever they are players um my focus right from the beginning because when i was a flash developer I was building games a lot. So mm-hmm. they would say, well, you know, we have this game, we want this to happen. And I would build that experience, planning out the system to make it happen. And now I do that in a real world sense. And I do that with motors and lights and sensors and controllers. And it, it is a very, it's a very satisfying, it's a very satisfying and gratifying thing to do because you get to actually watch people engage with what you built. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a number of the experiences I built, I get to physically be present, um, and and having been the person that said this is what I would do, and to have that be accepted as that is what is going to be done, is a it's a, a wholly unique thing for you know for a person. I think. Have Have you ever experienced? Um a project or a part of a project where you anticipated the participant behaving in a specific way and they didn't behave? Yeah, we built a, a I worked for us an experiential agency called Wonder Maker and we built a quantum science exhibit that toured Canada and we were, we worked with a university for it. And so what they did was they would tell us what experiments quantum science does the schrodinger's cat is probably the most Mm -hmm. the most obvious thing but when you know it's interesting because right now 
Marvel is very much into the quantum realm, so quantum mania is coming with Ant Man and the, the the many realms of whatever it's called, the multiverse or whatever. Oh, madness, yeah. The, uh, yeah, madness. Excuse me. And um, we were working so four years ago building this quantum science exhibit, which essentially was if you can, you know. One of the things I built, and this is specific to what you were asking. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I built was a gantry system that had a magnetic post. And on top of that gantry system was a flat plane with a maze. And you dragged a ball that had, a, a, it was a metal ball, ball. not a metal yeah. ball, but it was like a, a ball that had a, a gyroscope in it. So it, you could pull the ball through, right? right? You didn't see the gantry. But there was a gantry system underneath this magnetic post, and you could pull the ball through. You could turn down the temperature of the environment within the system. You couldn't. I changed colored lights right. from red to blue. Yeah. But that's a cold temperature, and that gave you more control. There was a game back in the day called Drunken Santa. And the drunker Santa got, the harder he was to move around. And you needed to move him from one spot to another. So I created a system called Drunken Santa, literally called it Drunken Santa, that if it was if it was hot, you couldn't control the ball. So you would move the ball in one direction, and it would try. Right. But then it would also try to go up. Or right. It would try to go down. So that you controlled the ball... And you could you could turn the temperature way down and control the ball, and that's some kind of quantum science right. experiment. Right, right. You 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 super cool helium, you can move it around. <clears throat> I was not expecting there to be summer camps and daycares running through these things, and I watched in utter horror as four year olds played the game. Now, I used an arcade stick, <clears throat> a standard arcade stick, which is, they're well known for durability. Right. But I also used a small potentiometer, which is a small dial to create the, the, the change in temperature. temperature. That thing is not built for a four-year-old to spin because a four-year-old spinning it uses their hand like this and they big jerking motions. Yeah, yeah. What I think they were going to do, they did not do, right? So they were constantly breaking the machine because that one dial started giving errors and I had to replace it. I had to bring the guy in that helped me with the dial, replace it. You know, every time I felt like every time we moved, that thing would break. And as the person that made it, I was just like, why can't you just use this game (laughs) the way I need you to use it? You know, because we had all these other things where, you know, you're redirecting a laser through a maze and, you know, all you do is you turn a, a, a knob and that thing worked but we had other things that were just so complicated mm-hmm. but children had to use it i built a a, a santa's workshop thing at, at sherway gardens where at a mall uh santa experience where you had these big stumps with buttons and, and knobs and twisties and you were playing with the lights on Christmas trees. And so like the you know the various things that the Christmas trees did were all affected by these very pretty buttons. Children don't give a shit about pretty buttons, by the way. So if you take a yo-yo and drill a hole in it and screw on a standard arcade button top and then slam that into an arcade button, those kids are going to figure out how to, one, take that yo-yo top off 
to impale their little hands on a screw. I didn't actually use screws, by the way. I just glued them on. But they right. managed to break off the yo-yo. And then three, like, take apart the button somehow. So just constantly breaking the stuff I made. You know, there's a, I had, a, again, a rotary encoder that, <clears throat> that had, you know, settings on it. So you could turn this giant CNC key I did and something would change on the thing. Well, I looked over and there was a kid and he was spinning that thing like a that wheel. Yeah. <clears throat> it had stops on it, so somebody broke it. Right. But it still worked, right. you know? And yeah. I was just like, that's a win, that's a win. <laughs> so building, building things, realizing that you're building them for children is probably the one situation where I, I needed someone to tell me in advance, you know? Right. Santa's workshop, kids, I know it, it's gonna happen, that's the way it works. Right quantum science going through various science museums i was not prepared i was not prepared for children right uh, at all at right. all so we did we toughened them up and it figured out and by the time it was done they were bulletproof but it certainly was a lesson in uh, durability you're always dealing with you know the, the physical limitations of objects or how they're going to be used um but you you got started in in like flash animation sure very, yeah very different <clears throat> not so i don't oh, think no. so no um my my goal and it you know flash at the time this is very early days like 2000 right. 2001 so flash at the time was in its infancy a, a tool of experimentation so although it was being adopted by advertising nobody really knew what to do mm. with it and and you know advertisers in general were kind of like what would you do with this? You know, I was like, tell me what movie you want to see. So, you know, oftentimes Flash people starting as designers and, and, and animators and turning into, that's what I turned into was I was a trained mm, illustrator. Right. So I went from design into uh, animation for Flash and then into development because that's what Flash was capable of doing as it went. You couldn't really program in Flash. And as you as you were able to program in Flash, the requests f for me, or for my skill, changed to whatever it was capable of doing. So I used to think very carefully as to, you know, you talk about the target market. So I thought very carefully as to who is going to be interacting with this thing and how would they interact mm. with that thing. So you take a lot of you take a lot of thought into if I'm going to make a button, I need to be able to make sure that that button can only be pressed once if I only want it to be pressed once. Right. So you start doing the things that you that are part that are inherent in in programming where you say if pressed stop listening. Right? <laughs> yeah. If released start listening again. Those are really super basic things that are part of game programming that weren't part of a flash animator or designer or illustrator's lexicon. Right. So we started as 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 most of us in in the flash world did we started by hearkening back into into games right into computer games that we played or or arcade games that we played so you could take very real world experiences of i went to an arcade and i played frogger and i could rebuild frogger to work off of a keyboard but not Frogger, it's the Cherry Pepsi logo or right. whatever. You know, a lot of the games I built were directly, could be directly related to gaming in the past. Mm -hmm. And I built that gantry system 
based off of knowledge I had from how you could make a, like a, a Pac-Man game in uh, in Flash or before that. Interesting. Because you would need to create a quadrant and know that he could not get past a specific spot in that right, quadrant. Right. So I had to build a quadrant in 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 a, an array, a multi-dimensional array for the gantry system to look at where my next move is going to be based off of where the where the controller's telling him to go, the ball is to go, mm-hmm. and determining whether or not there is a space to go to. Right? So I had to know a whole bunch of things like what distance does it go in one motion? Is that distance covered and available? And if not, what do you do? You just blank out. I mapped the entire grid of that game board into a maze that you could never get the ball stuck. Hmm. And then automated the system. When they won it, it would go, you won. And like automated itself backwards to the start. Because that's what I knew how to do. Right. Based off of having done a whole bunch of flash. Based off of playing games. And that's and and so, you know, you always take the the player into account. Right. You take the user into account. Because you want their experience to be interesting or scary or fun or whatever that intention is. That intention carries through, and so that, yeah. that remains the same for me. The, the, yeah, the experience of it, um, and I definitely can see that in your work, that, that that's a through line of, of <clears throat> the work that you've done. Uh, but it fascinates me to know that, that you know, the, some of the maker stuff that you've, or the physical stuff that you've built, is that closely related to the, the flash work that you did. That, mm. That's really interesting. Um, what about your, uh, the work you did do as an illustrator? Do you think that that, how does that play into... I mean, I can understand how that would play into animation, but how does that still come into into effect? Uh, well, it shifted quite a bit. Um, obviously, I, I work in the digital realm. I do a lot of uh, when I'm doing the experience design stuff. Uh, I do a lot of modeling and design of of items, so mm-hmm. that when we tell a client. Our creative technologist has designed this kiosk. This kiosk has this item on it. And so they don't go, what does it look like? We go, and this is what it looks like. You know, so right. I will use 3D modeling. I use Fusion 360 a lot because um, it's parametric and allows me to change parameters very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will then use my skills in Illustrator or Photoshop to append items onto that thing so that it becomes more of a real world object it looks right, right. more real world because the the actual skinning of things in a fusion i'm not really familiar with right but i do a lot of illustration within illustrator and in photoshop to complement uh the, the 3d work oh that's good so you're still using all the skills of all the stuff that you've yeah, done all and the soft and, skills yeah, i've I, yeah. I tend to still use them a lot i, I make a lot of documents now <laughs> Yes, and, and I feel like that's like something that is a, a truism of anybody who has been in a career for a long time. Yeah, I think that uh, you probably are, are attuned to this, but I, I think that, um, you know, being able to tell the story of an experience, part of that is, uh, you know, you've talked about gatekeepers quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, in the past episode and, and one before, but, you know, part of that is getting buy-in from the client. Right. If you can, if you can convince the client that 
what you are planning to do serves their purpose, it's a much smoother process. I tend to, when I present or when I when I write the presentation, I tend to take it from the point of view of how cool will this be, right? I mm-hmm. want them to see my enthusiasm for what I'm going to make be echoed in my tone. Uh, I don't like making things I've seen before. And right. it, it, it can be very problematic because what they want to see is points of reference. So if I can't design the thing that I said I'm going to make, that's problematic. Right. So, so um, if I'm if I'm understanding correctly, you, the clients are looking for, like, is this project like, or what are you or what you're suggesting is like this meets this? They people like what they've seen. Right. They a lot of a lot of people in general like the safety of of the familiar, mm. and I tend to feel best making something that hasn't existed part of that is um if you're interested in an award uh, as most clients are they tend to talk in terms of going viral or having award award, award winning work yeah uh why would you make something that won an award last year and that's how i tend to talk right because what I want them to accept is that award-winning work is stuff that hasn't been made before. And if you're going to make me reference something from last year, then we're not mm-hmm. making award-winning work. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so um, if on a conceptual level, clients are sometimes asking for things that have has won awards before, but but they're looking for the safest possible thing, right? Yeah. But then I guess what I what I'm interested in is. Um, do you think it was easier to sell clients on flash-based projects because it was something that was more familiar to them? Uh, or do you think, like, because, I mean, when you're, when you're dealing with microprocessors and all these, these mechanical, for lack of a better term, gadgets, mm-hmm. that's something that's, that's usually way out of the wheelhouse of a, of a, of a client. Wow. I know that, you know, just uh, for comparison, when I'm trying to pitch story, story is something that most clients feel at least that they understand correctly, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But, um, and that has its own challenges, but I'm just wondering how hard is it to, to say, you know, I'm gonna, I need to buy all this stuff to, to put this, and like, can, can they conceive of what that end, end product is gonna look like? Is it hard? It's a, well, it's a, it's a touchy, it's a, it's a touchy topic sometimes, right. uh, because, uh, with experiential, um, if you are dealing with with experiential, for most cases, if you're dealing with projection, you're dealing with projectors, and you're dealing with media servers, and you're dealing with a computer, and you can itemize those things and say, 100%, this is what I'm going to need, and this is how we're going to do it. With controllers, uh, it can be a bit more it can be a bit trickier because uh, clients don't give a shit mm. what controller I'm going to use. So it it it's the hardware becomes a very nebulous cost. Uh, we tend to be uh, liberal in the mm-hmm. estimate mm-hmm. because everything I build requires a prototyping phase for me to figure out whether or not 
that was the route I wanted right. to take. And really what you're talking about is uh, the edit, right? Like, so I go from I go from my initial idea, how I intended to make it, and I can guarantee you from that to the actual finished product, there has been six iterations. And what would be right. for a, a right. story writer uh, would be edits. Mm -hmm. So I've edited what I needed to do to get it to where I needed to be. And oftentimes it's because I overcomplicated it at the beginning. And I wasn't aware I was overcomplicating it. I was just going with what I knew how to do. Right. You know, and, and uh, it's pretty funny how many times I will, I will catch myself and go, wow, I really just <laughs> shit the bed on that, you know, and then, and then I fix it and I move on and I, I make it better. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like that, that really needs to be a part of the process. Prototyping is massively yeah. important. It, it, it is it is one of the things that I have really appreciated from uh, my managing director, Christine, is she has been very supportive of just generally tinkering around so that right. by the time we get to a client and they're asking for something, I can definitively describe how that's going to work. Right. Um, you know, we... I was mandated at the very beginning of the lockdown to uh, figure out from my perspective, how would experiential change if you were going to make mm -hmm. something that no one wanted to touch. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started coming up with ideas that, that, you know, were very mobile based, but still had the experience of being there. Right. Um, like how would you put someone in something? How would you get them to interact? How would, you know, I had to, I spent a lot of time talking about it and a lot of time writing about it. Um, because you, you only started to become aware of how reluctant people were to touch other things that mm -hmm. they did not own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was it wasn't a fast adjustment to recognize that. But thankfully, I was given the mandate to figure it out. And right. I, I did spend a good quantity of time starting to recognize things based off of just going out. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to touch that doorknob. Yeah. Would I really want to touch an iPad that someone handed to me to say fill out a form? Yeah, put on a, a VR headset. That... <clears throat> no, no. Yeah, but it's if someone like a... wanted me to fill out a form and they showed me a QR code, I'd scan that QR code and fill it out on my, my own phone. phone. Yeah, one hundred percent. So these are the things that that I I'm now essentially pitching is, what would your experience look like, if you didn't make someone touch the thing you want them to touch, and and that's the conversations I'm having now, and it's. It's really rewarding to have those conversations. Well, it it feels like um, it is equal parts novel, mm -hmm. right? So, you, so you you already discussed that. Uh, you know what interests you most is is doing the thing that hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's definitely timely, yeah. uh, and also is is filling a, a, a desperately needed function. Yeah, uh, I know. Uh, in the world of uh, theme entertainment, so theme parks yeah. and museums, like they're all desperate to figure this out. There seems yeah. to be a, 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 a really good opportunity to help those institutions come out of, of COVID. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that things will ever go back to how they were before? Or do you think there's always going to be a little bit of an apprehension to... Uh, well, if you think about it right now, um, the kids that are 
9 and 10, in 10 years will be the ones starting to enter into college and the ones that will be the next marketers. Right. And they will 100% be informed by what they did, yeah. what, what's happened in the past year and a half. So if the kids that are really anxious right now uh, can get past that, great. But I think what we're going to find is it's going to be a long-lasting effect. Mm -hmm. Mostly uh, because the people like us will be less interested in going out. You know, yes. there there is a there's a certain shift that's happened with the reopening of, of things where I can I see a, a very distinct targeting within within the people that I know, a very distinct targeting of where they will go that they feel okay to go. Not just I'm not I'm gonna go to any random bar, mm -hmm. any dive. They're like, I am going here because I know that they've taken the precautions I require, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a very it's a very strange um, thing, but one that we all, most of us, have accepted as, as that's what's got to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like uh, there are a lot of changes uh, in, in advertising, especially experiential, not just because of COVID, but just in the last few years in general and uh, one of the things aside from the work that you do that that you were also involved in uh, is uh, first next step okay yeah and um, it, I, I thought it was a brilliant idea as a, as a network well why don't you explain it to yeah okay uh, first next step uh, was and is uh, a networking showcase for marketers and advertisers essentially mm -hmm. the idea was that uh I, I i am part of a um facebook group called toronto toronto ad jobs networking and in that saw a lot of people who really needed an audience and really needed to be able to talk about themselves but couldn't quite get past um HR, mm -hmm. right? They couldn't get mm -hmm. to the people that needed to hear them. Uh, whether that was, uh, you know, a person new to the country or someone just starting out, uh, they just couldn't do it. And I, I think without sounding conceited, I have a, a, a quite a large friend group when it comes, or peer group when it comes to advertising. Mm -hmm. I've been in it for a long time and I know a lot of the sort of policy makers within uh, agencies and I've worked with them or for them uh, for an extensive amount of time. So what I decided what I wanted to do was essentially make an open night mic, open oh, mic my. night for uh, people who wanted to find work. And I was really lucky that uh, I had this existing relationship with Handlebar, and I I had pitched it to various smaller agencies or bigger agencies just to say like, hey. And it had had I think it was running for about two years. I was doing it quarterly, um, but it it had gotten to a point when it was about 60, 70 people coming mm -hmm. out. Yeah, uh, and recruiters were talking to me and stuff, which was kind of fun. Um, but COVID, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the the I did one digital only one uh, and the experience for me was not i didn't enjoy it mm -hmm. whether or not other people did sort of 
almost didn't matter because if if I'm the host and I don't mm-hmm. like it, I can't be involved. Yeah, and I could see it being one of the um, experiences that really wouldn't translate well online. Not it, not at that time. No, it, it could get. It's gotten a bit better. People have obviously invested way more money into multi-user video stuff, but um, no. Well, I think the one thing that uh, uh, first next step has going for it that most of these sort of like meet and greet uh, sort of without. I don't think it's a job fair, but that's what I could sure, compare yeah, it to. I think you could. Um, it, it, when you said open mic, it did the. When I attended it, it, it felt like a, a comedy yeah. night. Yeah, it, you know, with a bunch of peers going up and and doing their bit and talking about yeah. themselves, but talking about themselves rather than than telling jokes. Which I am, I am not into. I don't like mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. myself. I find this very uncomfortable. Oh wow! But um, but I can put on the persona of someone yes. who's very comfortable <laughs> with it. Um, because you had you had mentioned you're like why why have we never interviewed each other yeah and I have I have done a number of projects that are specifically based off of storytelling or whatever like when I was 19 is probably the most obvious one where I took stories from people and I never took my own and it was and it was always a thing that someone would ask they'd be like why are you telling your story and I was and I would I would sit I could tell you about my 19th year. And how crazy it was, but I would never put a, a camera in front of my face, huh. you know. And I did another, I did another project that was like that, that influential, the documentary. Mm-hmm. I did not do my own, and I, because because you know, I think, and I discussed this in the influential episode was, um, I'm not the subject, you know, and 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 doing first next step. I wasn't the one looking for a job. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. really easy for me to get up and, and, and be a host and be funny and be engaging and get people up and let's go, let's go, let's go, rah, 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 you. Because it wasn't rah, 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 me. Me, yeah. You know, which I fucking hate. I absolutely hate it. I hate it. I hate, I hate self-aggrandizing bullshit. And I, I'm just not good at it. And I, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I know how you feel. It's It does... It, it just feels fake, which is why, yeah. which is why first next step was was good, exactly because I wasn't getting up and going look at me, look at my first next step. But the interesting thing is, in my opinion, the people who went up and were talking were the most genuine I've ever seen. Oh yeah. So that's what made that event special is that this wasn't a job interview. This wasn't a job fair where you're going up and you're trying to to be the play the persona of the person. You think that the the uh, the um, the recruiters are looking right. for or the clients are looking for? Yeah. You're going up there. You're telling people what you do. Yeah. You're giving a little presentation of some cool stuff that you've done. Mm-hmm. And if people like it, then you're you're working on something that you want to be working yeah, on. Yeah, I, I think we managed to get a, a, a quite a bit of traction with it, and it, and it is a shame. You know, I think coming out of the lockdown, I'll I'll, I'll hopefully relaunch it. Um. I don't know how much time I have for a bunch of side yeah, quests. But, that's true. You know, if I see something with a big exclamation point bouncing over it, I instinctively want to go do it. So, you know, first next step was a dream I had. Uh, and I went on Facebook and said, hey, by the way, I had this dream. And I described it. And they went, and everybody went, 
you should do that. So the next month I did it and, and it worked. So I did it again mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and it worked and, you know, I'm really good at letting stuff go, <laughs> you know, because there's always another idea. Yes. And, yeah. the, and I, you know, we've talked about this as well. And, and, and I, it's one of the few, it's one of the rare times I will toot my own horn. Ideas are not dime a dozen, but they are for you and I. They are mm. for certain people. Mm-hmm. And I have ideas all the time. The advantage I have is that I, I can implement a lot of them if I choose to, you know? Like, it, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 don't like, I don't like, you know, chasing my tail too long. But what do you mean by that? Do you remember I mentioned the script reads thing, the table yep. reads thing? So I had this idea, listeners, in case uh, you never heard of it, which you would not have. Oh no, you uh, Fensler. It's it's in the Fensler follow follow up to Fensler. Yeah. I had this idea, and 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 the the concept, the core concept was that a group of people would get together and they would read from a script of any movie that they really liked. I figured I could get away with copyright infringement because. I'm not using the audio. I'm just letting them read it. And those right. scripts are freely available. Yep. And I got to the extent of commissioning a musician to create a theme that could be carried through any genre, right? So he would write this core theme that he would then write subsidiary themes that could be used in different genres. He was super into it. I was super into it. I played a game. And I told a group of people about it. And one guy said, is that going to be fun for everybody? Or is that just going to be fun for you? And I went, well, that's the end of that. Oh. So regardless of how interesting I might think that that is, and I, I still do think that there's some bearing to it. It does point, it does bring to mind that I don't like selling. So mm-hmm. I could not. I couldn't convince anybody to be the first episode because I couldn't get them to commit to a group of people and I couldn't get them to commit to a a script. And those two things are the only things that matter in that whole episode. And I wasn't going to be the one to dictate to people what movie they were going to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I wasn't going to chase my tail on that. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah otherwise waste my time yes i think there is something to be said for uh how you know we've talked about this approach of getting something done mm-hmm. of having an idea figuring out what is the version of this that i can do now right and then doing it and that to me is because i remember when you first mentioned first next step and then it was just a thing and it had happened and it, it <laughs> happened at the right time and i yeah. think I, I was always really impressed with how quickly you were able to put that together well, and the you. quality of the event that came out of it. You know, I have to credit uh, FITC and uh, Flash and Teal, which became Create and Teal. I have to credit them for um, just letting me grab a mic. Public speaking is one of the three top fears that people have. And I have been an entertainer my entire life, whether or not teachers wanted me to be. <laughs> um, and I, I really do. I really do standing in front of people, and I really do like making them laugh. And with uh, first next step, there was an opportunity to, to to serve a purpose, and to have some mic time where I could make people laugh. And I and um, 
to 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 the credit of of creating to uh, is that that's how i got the relationship with handlebar you know right i was going there every month talking to the management getting to know them well enough that when i emailed them and said i want to do a thing they were like yeah of course you can do a thing find an open night and mm -hmm. that's what i did I, I think, and I, I, I've talked about this, I don't know if I, I haven't talked about this right. in, a, in a real sense with anybody, but maybe you, but with my wife, I've spoken about this a lot. I'm an organizer, right? I may not be that organized, but I can organize the shit out of <laughs> an event. Like I can put something together really quick. And it's it just comes down to recognizing what needs to happen. What 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 do I need to make this work? Do I care if 10 people show up or five people show mm -hmm. up? What's my what's my barometer of success? And with first next step, I kind of decided I don't care who shows up. I just care if they do show up that they take part and right. participating becomes a lot easier if you make the experience pleasant. You make it into something that they realize they're not going to be in the hot seat. When they pick when they pick up that mic, they realize that everybody there is receptive and interesting and interested. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's that's a very difficult thing to to get people past. You saw people do it. They would grab the mic, take a deep breath, and go okay. And I would be standing right beside them, fucking jamming them up, like making them like yeah, firing them up. You know. Well, I I mean, and I think that's that's kind of what I wanted to get at was right. the fact that um, you as a host did so much for those people. It is not easy for people to get up on a stage and, yeah. and talk about themselves. And like, I mean, you're, you're saying that you as well don't like doing it. Yeah. No, I don't like I don't like selling myself. Right. I love entertaining. Yes. Yeah. But, and that's what I mean. It's like you're you were able to get up there and help those people get up on the stage, realize that it's it's not something to be afraid of yeah. and to, to do what they need to do. Yeah. No, that's right. Uh, that's right. And yeah, again, like I think that, that you, the success of that is, is it owes a lot to your ability to do that. I mean it even speaks sure. to how you said you you taught you, you you know, you chat up the people, the management at the handlebar, you get to know the bar staff. Like I know you from, from mostly from handlebar right and i always thought that you were a hardcore regular there because no. of the rapport you had with the bar staff yeah if once a month is a hardcore regular but, but that's what i'm saying it's like it, <laughs> the relationship you have with them speaks to someone who has a a, 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 a rapport a, yeah a larger um relationship than just once a month sure oh yeah okay yeah no you know I mean? yeah i guess so yeah and and that again speaks to that that first impression of a, this is a guy that I want to hang out with. This right. is a guy that I think would be uh, up for a good conversation. Uh, I feel like we're going to get along, and then everything else built on top of that. Yeah, I I, I feel it's well. I mean, with with the service industry in particular, who were hit so hard yeah. in the past year and a half. Uh, I feel, I always felt it was uh, it was a. A reflection of you as a person, how you treated the people who served you. Mm -hmm. And uh, my brother w was in the service industry for a really long time, so I really appreciated that. Uh, man, I might be a nice guy, but you know they're not dealing with a nice guy all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why would I make their day any harder? So mm -hmm. you know, as part of you know creating to or flashing to before that, 
it was uh, incumbent upon me to make sure that the wait the, the servers and wait staff uh, were having as pleasant an experience as they can slowly getting drunker and drunker <laughs> patrons come up to them yeah so although I was one of those patrons uh, it was important to me to kind of wrangle the other patrons so you know they could sense that I was and uh, they could they would express gratitude uh, for having done that and it, it turned into I mean I don't want to say I, I have a very uh, distinct um, definition of friendship but you know we were friendly for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so Hugh I've noticed that recently you worked on this project during Pride Month and uh, that also had a connection to Handlebar well, yeah, peripherally it did. I I had run this project in uh, 2015, I think, that was called Light Motion Capture, where mm-hmm. uh, I had this idea for long exposure um, photography where I strapped lights to what I was calling subject matter experts. But what it really was, I, I have a friend who's a black belt in Taekwondo, and I said, hey, could I put some LEDs on you and you would do some Taekwondo-ish? I don't really know what they... It's called a movement, apparently. Um, and so he brought me to the studio that he... he uh, were, I don't know what the word is, practiced out of. And he did a movement. And I was like, where I had him in this... Well, where he was in the studio, it was this long, long shot. I wasn't really all that familiar with a camera. I knew I could do it, but I didn't have everything nailed down. And I just couldn't get over how gorgeous it was. Mm-hmm. Um, long exposure photography is it can be an incredibly beautiful medium. So then I reached out to a friend of mine who was a Bollywood dancer, who Kim, who uh, mm-hmm. Kim Kuo, who uh, was in the Foodies episode. She happens to have been part of a Bollywood dance troupe. And I said, could I put some lights on you and you would dance for me? You know, and and uh, she said, "Yeah." And I, I wasn't as awkward when I asked. I had a, it was a better pitch, because dance for me is a weird thing to say to somebody you don't know. <laughs> and so I, I shot that, or, or no, I shot handlebar first. I said to the bartender, "I was like, could I strap some lights on you and you would mix a drink for me?" Thinking that that would be an interesting thing. Have you ever watched someone mix a drink? It's not interesting. So instead, he <laughs> waved his arms around in circles and walked towards me, and it looked awesome right all right so then the bollywood dancer and so i was getting a bit of better understanding of composition and lighting and how long exposure works and and how you could um uh control the you know exposure of the the f-stops and you know iso and stuff like that on the on the camera to to create a, a more interesting image so it doesn't get completely blown out and with kim i started to experiment with uh flashing light so that I could capture part of her and and go through that process. And then the final uh, thing I series I did was with the axe thrower where I, I strapped lights mm-hmm. onto an axe. And so I would flash the light so I could get the, the dart, the, the board mm-hmm. uh, and then turn the lights off and he'd fling the axe and it would look like a, you know, a circle. Uh, yeah, it only uh, flips uh, once, flip. right? Yeah. So it, it did a thing. It did a whole bunch of different versions of or different angles and whatnot, and it was really, really satisfying. And then I kind of stopped because, because um, uh, I got bored. Mm-hmm. But it, part of <laughs> it always stuck with me that I made these photos. I just loved the photos, and I 
I think when we talk about imposter syndrome, imagine being a excuse me an illustrator that then does animation, but then does programming, and then does all this other stuff, and then goes, "I'm going to make photos," and and think <laughs> that that you could be taken seriously, but then is taken seriously. Yeah. So, the level to which I have to disassociate myself from the stuff I'm doing so that I can actually get it done is mind-blowing fast forward five years uh thinking box where i work um gave disposable cameras to some people in the lgbtq uh, ia plus community and said document what being in the community means to you and so i you know i i was having a conversation with one of them and they said I've got this. I got this camera. I'm supposed to talk about what being in, being gay means to me, and I was like, you know, I've got this thing that I did back in the day. I bet you I can make a pride flag, you know. Um, so the old pride flag is six colors. Mm-hmm. The new flag is incredibly complicated, <laughs> way past what I could do. But I took a piece of cord around, strapped a meter long strip of LEDs onto it. You know, programmed a microcontroller, 3D printed a handle, jammed it on there, and waved it around, and took some pictures using long exposure. And the response was so mind blowing that I was like, "I'm going to do that again." <laughs> so I took my son to the park. He waved it around, and I had some really specific ideas in mind as to what I wanted to achieve. So I took those photos, but the one that people gravitated the most towards was the first photo I took with Declan, who's 14 or soon to be 15, but he, I said, just do something like, cause I wanted to get a gauge of the light. Right. And he waved it around and, and did this whole motion where it was almost like a brush stroke in the air and the effect of it. That's what everybody reacted to. They reacted to this one thing. I had this other thing that I thought people were going to like, and no one did. And, and it was just this thing that he did. So I started really experimenting with, you know, using the space and really getting into what does motion mean with light. And then I bought a denser light strip and then I bought some uh, aluminum edging and I redesigned the handle. Um, so it went from 60 lights to 90 lights. Um, and I, uh, I started asking people, could I shoot in your space? And so I got to shoot in a brewery called Red Tape, who were guests. And I got to shoot at um, a winery, a little red winery in Shavel, uh, huh. who's also been a guest. And, and every time that, that I shoot, there's always someone who watches me do it and then goes, uh-huh. I don't know what you just did. And then, and then I, so I show them the photo, you know, and I show that because I look like an idiot. You know, it's hard yeah, not to look like it. I'm waving around, around, I'm waving around a meter long stick yeah. and, and, you know, looking like Dumbledore, you know, <laughs> you know that's the death curse. Uh, yeah. Illuminatus or whatever. I don't know. I, I feel bad now. <laughs> that works. Super. It's got to be light, right? Light, Luminaris. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyways, I'm waving a stick around with light on it and, and, and eventually someone will say like, what, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and so I'll go like this, like, this is what right. I'm doing. And I'll yeah. show them the, the, Images are like, oh my God. I went down to Woodbine Beach, which is currently every night filled with drunk teenagers. Yeah. And I walked into the water and I took a photo 
I came back out and this girl's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I am doing this. And I showed her the photo and she goes, oh my God, I love it. Can I do it? I went, or no, she's, oh my God, I love it. I said, do you want to do it? Yes, I do. So she <laughs> took a couple, she took a photo and I, I said, so also if you were to swing your arm around and, and, and you moved a bit, you would disappear. Are you a wizard? <laughs> I was like, no. No, this is called long exposure photography. So a lot of what yeah. ends up happening is it's almost like an education in, in how the medium works. And getting someone else to do it is so fun. It's so mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. I, when I was at Woodbine Beach, I was with my coworker. And the first couple of shots she took were just the standard. I'm going to go like this. It's really just from right to left. And I said, uh, I said, that's good. Yeah. And she's like, you don't think it's good? I went, no, no, it's good. But, you know, you can move and you can move it. And it's not uh, uh, delicate. So you can wave it around. Really give it a go, you know. And so like, yeah. next thing I know, we spent an hour with her going, I want to do, you know. And we would we shifted to, you know, uh, Ashbridge's Bay. And we shifted to these different spots. And, you know, it was an hour of shooting. And she just had a blast, you know. And the same thing with Little Red Winery and, and the same thing with Red Tape. When when the person, when someone else gets to try it and they get to see the result of that thing, yeah. just absolutely well, so much fun. And so and, and, and so to my point, the response to every shoot has been incredible. Just incredible. Like people are they love the photos, they they love the results. They there's you know, it was all during it was during half of Pride Month. Uh, I'm still going to other places with it. And um, I bought a, a strip of 144 pixels per meter. Wow. I'm going to cut that in half. So I got like a 72 pixel right. half meter because a meter long stick is really unwieldy in small right. spaces. But a half meter right. stick would be baller, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, what I love is, is throughout your description of this project, um, part of it is the result. Oh, right. it's Part always the result. Yeah. Is the is the photos that you get out of it. Yeah. But it sounds now like there is also an experience being had by those people who are involved in the shoot itself. Yeah. And that to me is really interesting because in most cases, in most projects, it doesn't matter. It's just a means to an end. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's a tough it's a tough call with with this in particular with this it really is a thing that it's showing allyship right like mm-hmm. to have a big cishet white male walking around with a with the rainbow flag not giving a shit if you think it looks mm-hmm. funny that's that's me being an ally mm-hmm. right but then when someone recognizes what's going on and they want to participate, that's where it matters the mm-hmm. most. Um, because if it was any other set of light, it wouldn't be as impactful. Right. Right. Like I have a lot of other lights. I have a lot of other things that I could light up and, and, and paint with, but, but the pride flag is, uh, and I'd said, <laughs> You know, I'd said in my description, because they asked me to actually be part of that, the disposable camera project, they put me in there uh, 
going like, oh, and also Hugh. <laughs> you know, it's like they go, well, here's so and so and so and so and so and so and holy shit, look at what Hugh did. Um, and I was just like, you know, I, I wanted to do it the way I did it because it's not about me, and it's it's mm-hmm. because pride is everywhere, mm-hmm. and pride is all the time. So, um, yeah, you know, like. Yeah, I don't know, man. It, it was just a, it's just a, it's it's a project that uh, continues to be. Um, it just, ma- it just makes me. I so I, here's the here's the the kicker is that I have uh, my old neighbors in Parkdale were these two guys, uh, Bob and Rick, and Bob and Rick were effectively closeted. They're in their fifties. They're now in their seventies or, or or late sixties. But they within their their occupations they were closeted, right? And it it broke my heart in, in a way that that uh, I always had a problem with. But they're very gay at home, so uh, they were like two amazing gay uncles to me. They fed me, we drank, we laughed, we spent nights hanging out in their backyard, and they were they were so good to me. And one of the things that pride became for me was uh something that that those men who were in their 50s um they created for the next generation so the next generation can be out and proud and and i wanted to create this thing to sort of be a nod to you know yeah because it's not a person right it's pride right um so i sent them the photos i I sent them some photos i was like you know hey by the way i did this thing it's not all about you, but it's a little bit about you. And yeah. and and they were like this. These are just beautiful, you know. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's my little inside take on that. I mean, the results are fantastic. I, no, I've I told you before, that. and um, being someone who has grown up around photography and just oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh my God, that's right. Your dad's I'm just right. like. <laughs> These are so awesome. That's a, that's so that good. is a, that is remarkably surprisingly gratifying. I completely forgot that your father was a photographer. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, yeah. Holy shit! Thank you so much. <laughs> but and I think I mean part of that. It just it also made me realize, or 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 just maybe not. It wasn't like a first time realization, but it it, it uh, reminded me how, uh, and I know you feel. Um, imposter syndrome, mm. right? Yeah. And, but uh, to me, what you do, ha- it, although it involves tools, it has the success of your projects has very little to do with the materials and the tools that you use. Sure. And has much more to do with the concepts and the creativity that you bring. Right. So when you you talk about yourself as a creative technologist, I think that where you should never uh, consider there to be any imposterism is in the creativity because the the stuff that you come up with has continued to impress me oh, in that regard. That's amazing. Thank you. I don't have a response to that. <laughs> that's, that's not a, that's not a thing that I can respond to. I, no. you know, it's a, you know, I think imposter syndrome uh, affects everybody mm-hmm. it, or if it doesn't, they're lying. <laughs> Um, I, I read a, an interesting, there was a number of things that, that are, if you react to this, uh, it, it's because you are this. And one of the things that I, I thought was, was great. They, they said, 
if you lack confidence, confidence can seem like arrogance. And I, I noticed that I, I react to confidence really poorly. And, and I, and I do put a lot of effort into recognizing Mm -hmm. that in myself so that I, I'm not looking at someone going, you're just arrogant. Um, because I cannot, I cannot fathom being confident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have, I have the confidence to go ahead and fucking do it. But you know, if someone reacts like strongly and says, "Wow, I really like that thing," man, that just gets me up. I don't even know how to handle that. I don't know how to handle mm-hmm. compliments. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's yeah. really like a. Okay, great. You know, that's I, I'm glad you said that. I don't believe it, but I'm glad you said it. You know, and and I, I it's an ongoing project. Remembering to accept that maybe I did something good. <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, it, it goes back to the uh, the episode uh, I did with uh, Emily Switzer, mm. where you know we talked about the fact that if an artist is too confident and doesn't have enough imposter syndrome, then you're like, I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a, um, there is a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And I think there's a fine line between humility Mm -hmm. and, um, what's the word I'm going to, I'm trying to find it, uh, like a fake humility. Right. You know, like someone, someone who's like, I'm self-deprecating because I am constantly in a state of panic about whether or not I deserve what I've got. And, you know, um, but on the other hand, I do have quite a bit of uh, faith in, in being able to come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that there that I um as far as the creativity is concerned, I think that I do. I embrace it. I embrace ideas and I embrace concepts um but i i tend to really self-regulate whether or not i believe they're good you know they're only good once they're done and only good if i believe it Mm -hmm. anybody else can believe something's good but i don't know the photos are they're proof of beauty to me and and so I, I constantly I want to invite photographers to join me, but I really think that they're just going to do a better job. <laughs> you know, so but I but I, I I'm like, it's funny, but even after shooting what seven times in seven locations, right. and having the response I've had, I still kind of want to reach out to some photographers I know just to say like, how could I do this better? You know. Because so much of what I do is trial and error. But then uh, David Bastido, <laughs> the official yep. photographer for the Tragically Hip, yep. messaged me. He's like, my mom wants to do that. How do I do You know, how do I, you know, no. I want to do it too. And I'm like. And he's asking you. No, no, no. Well, he, oh. he's, he's asking me because I think part of it is when you make something first, people, if they're, if they're good about it, they'll ask permission to do right. it. Right. And I think that's what he was doing. He said, right. my mom wants to do it. And I said, fucking do it. Right. And, he, yeah. and I said, I have all the stuff you need to make your own. He goes, I have all the stuff I need to make my own. And I, I realized that that was what he was doing. He was asking for, for permission. Yeah. And then Nathan Whitford, who's Urban Visuals, who's a hugely influential or not influential, hugely successful LED guy, does a lot of visual stuff, texted me a photo of the actual pride flag done you know, doing 
because he used like a pixel stick and like or whatever and actually animated it and ran along the thing and did the triangle in the black space and all that stuff uh but he had texted me photos and said like look what i did and i'm like that's baller dude and then so he like that was permission to post and then he posted it and i'm I'm sure he wouldn't i don't know if he would consider it asking for permission but for me to to say like i fucking love it yeah yeah i would i would kill to see a whole bunch of people doing this i would i would kill to see it because it would be one it flies in the face of bigotry yep right but two, it, it shows the value of, of, of participatory action. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's, that's all I ever really want, you know? So what's next? I mean, you've, you've gone from illustration to, to flash animation to building physical things to working with photography and light. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're always just looking for you know, more toys for new things to play with to, to, to get your creative vision across. Is there anything that you're really excited about right now? Uh, that I can talk about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I, uh, we're in the midst of some things that are very exciting that I, I really can't discuss. Right. Uh, that won't be done by the time this episode comes out. So okay. I still can't discuss it. But I'll tell you what I want to do. Okay. Uh, I want to make a short film oh and wow, okay. it has nothing to do with thinking box it's got nothing to do with anybody else i want to make a short film i want to make uh the vampire short film nice so uh yeah i want to do that so i need to write it um but it is a goal it's a goal to do i think one of the things is so i'm 48 and i'll be 49 in december by the time I'm 50, I want to be able to say I made a movie. Nice. A short film yeah. is a movie. Yeah. So uh, I want to be able to say that I put pen to paper and produced a film. And uh, and uh, and part of that is because of, oh, I love movies. I love film. Um, and part of it is because I don't want to hit 50 and have a regret like that, that I didn't bother. The other thing I'm going to try is I'm going to try stand-up comedy. But... That's not as important to me, but it is important to be funny. So maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> but the the film thing is 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 uh, is gonna. I'm gonna do it. I think in the next year and a half. Wow. Somehow. And are you going to collaborate on it? Are you going to find someone to direct? Are you going to try uh, to do? It? Well, yeah, I would. I would assume so. I would. Okay. I'm not. I'm not a filmmaker, so right. I'm going to have to get somebody involved. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't figured that out. I'm going to... Um, yeah. I'm saying it out loud because then I feel more committed to it. To do it. Well, I, I, th- I find it interesting because it is also one of our can't sell this projects. Well, that's the... And, and, and yeah, that's why I'm bringing it up. Yeah. Because like, it, it's always something in the back of my mind that the minute I wrote it as a short story, I realized it would be a really good short film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a... Um, I'm not an ambitious ambitious person you know i when we it always surprises me when someone's like wow you really did this or you really did that and i'm like man i'm not a very ambitious person i just wanted to get this done and and uh i'm pleased with the results of a lot of the stuff i've done but i'm not doing it to to please anybody Mm -hmm. you know like um first next step is an example of 
I'm not doing it to get people to like me. I'm doing it to find people work. And, and, and mm-hmm. if they could find work out of what I did, fucking A, you know? And I, I think, uh, I th- yeah, I, I think with the, the short story, I can recognize it as something that could be a, a, a fun little short film. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm very excited <laughs> to see it. For your your co-producer <laughs> credit. <laughs> yeah. I want to have that name. Up there. Executive no. producer credit. <laughs> no, I, I think it would be really interesting to see that. Yeah, I, the, uh, the whole process of it would be mm-hmm. fun too. I mm-hmm. think. I don't know. You me. should definitely document that as well. I would think I probably Behind would. I mean, stuff. it seems like a thing I would do: yeah. take photos and video and yeah. whatnot. I already do that stuff. And then we'll have a can't sell this project that became an actual project. Yeah, I like. Sure. Well, you know, it's funny, but I, I I like to think that the 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 short story is the project. You know, right. um, regardless of self-publishing regardless of any of the you know i designed a book cover we you designed the uh, wording that went on it the the word mark yeah no i i, I see that as being a project so i, I a continuation of the a continuation project. yeah fair enough Sorry evolution nitpicking <laughs> well hugh yeah it feels I like we tied it off think we did yeah, yeah that was a good one three episodes in one night oh my god in person mm-hmm at the tail well, end before you hopefully. walk like an Egyptian yes because that's what I'll be doing with the bangles <laughs> don't I don't recommend that I don't think that's how you're going to make friends in Egypt at all no no yeah. even if you yell it out no. walk like an Egyptian I don't think they'll like that no. I, don't I mean I don't know the Egyptian people that well they may really dig it but that, yeah you don't even know no no I would say no I would not know that. <laughs> It's a bad okay so th- thanks Stefan I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to me and I appreciate you taking the time to come and visit oh and I am uh, gonna miss you man yeah I'll miss you too this episode of can't sell this was produced in Toronto Ontario Canada all creative content in this episode is copyright Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart Questions or comments can be emailed to admin at can'tsellthispodcast.com. Music for the podcast is provided by Not Of. Find Not Of at notof.bandcamp.com. Opening and closing voiceover provided by jeffwright.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, a like in whatever platform you use goes a long way to helping the podcast get noticed. Thanks for listening and keep creating. Uh, see you.